podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, a podcast today that we made as both a video and a podcast a couple of days ago. Now, the video's gone live already, so if you've seen our season review on our YouTube channel, then you don't need to listen to this. And if you haven't, well, here's the audio version. So here we are, summer break then. And let's look back at how Formula One has delivered so far this year, which drivers will be happy with their performance, which teams have developed well and which have gone backwards in the Drivers' Championship it's only one name in town, you know that. Max Verstappen, 314 points. And his teammate Sergio Perez. Looks like he could finish second this year if he can uh, stay on the right stuff and finish in the right place. Sergio Perez, 189, plays 314 for his teammate. Yep, it's not close this year. I think we know that. Fernando Alonso's incredible early season run of podiums has kept him in the top three spot, but Lewis Hamilton just a point behind. 149, plays 148. And then Charles Leclerc, a fair chunk back with 99 points. Same as George Russell. Actually, they're tied on fifth and sixth, but same amount of points. What about the teams, though? And again, Red Bull will be feeling so confident over the summer break. I'm sure they'll shift their development and have done already a long time ago to the 2024 car. They are pretty sure they can bring things to the car with a, a rule set that isn't changing from year to year. They can bring some developments to 2023 if they need to, if the other teams were to start catching. But frankly, the other teams can't decide between them who wants to be second, third and fourth. Red Bull 503 constructors points. Mercedes-Benz 247. Aston 196. Ferrari 191. And McLaren on 103 points, but nearly all of those scored in the last four opportunities to score points. Incredible development there for McLaren. We're going to find out what our experts think of the season so far. And that is the guys that we send to the race every weekend in the paddock, talking to the drivers, the team bosses, and, and keeping their ear to the ground as well with Matt Q. And first up, Alex Kalanokis, our Grand Prix editor. Alex, how's the season been for you so far? Good on the one hand, enjoying traveling the world and seeing a Formula One season uh, developing. On the other hand, that season has been really boring. Like there's, there's no getting away from it. It's sort of, I think Spa summed it up quite nicely. It's good that we, we're doing it, doing this now. Also, well, we are doing this now because it's the, the summer break, right? But following on from that event, you had really interesting battles in the pack at Spa in terms of, I think there's some nice overtaking from Orlando Norris when the McLaren's rear wing was being helpful in the rain. Alex Albon, Yuki Snowder, the Alpines, they were getting stuck in. But up front, Max Verstappen had gone from sixth to first with no opposition. Sergio Perez is not on his level. And that's it. That's That sums up the season, really. Good behind. Excellent behind, I think, as we probably come on to say. Terrible up front. On the on the sort of addition to that, it's, a, it's, 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 it's wonderful to be able to watch F1 greatness in action. I think we'll look back on this current Red Bull domination and, and say, well, this is Schumacher Ferrari level, you know, going back through the years. It, it's, it's McLaren domination level from the 70s and beyond that. It's, it's, it's really special. And that's 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 good to be able to see. So yeah, conflicting so far this season, I would say. I agree with most of Alex's sentiments. Really, it is excellent to sort of sit back and watch Verstappen tear these records up. I think I pitched a column last year after Red Bull had, had like a few glitches throughout, you know, a couple of sticky wheel nuts and whatever. Going, yeah, but what if they get everything together and they win the race by thirty seconds? That'd be kind of cool to watch. Now it's every race is won by thirty seconds, and yeah. Uh, 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 in the heat of the moment not the most thrilling the the argument that there's been overtakes but not a lot of racing with a with a few sort of midfield exceptions in spa 
it's not been mega but yeah to sit back and go this is it although I, I feel slightly shortchanged by that because as we've discussed on other part podcasts and videos the rb19 is a mega jack of all traits but it's not a master of any i don't think um you're not sitting back there and going wow this is such a landmark performance it's more that it's just brilliant to everything and exposing why or exposing how ferrari mercedes whoever haven't caught up and it's sort of a bit sad in that respect however the off-track stuff has been pretty compelling so you know we've already had a driver be binge ricardo come back you know hot of the press is the alpine madness there's already a few rumors circulating about silly season it's not gonna be a patch on better retiring alonso to aston martin alpine announcing piastri and piastri you know being settled via the court but there's a few things bubbling away uh, you know who, who Ferrari are trying to hire to get through their their rebuild phase, cost cap allegations and stuff. So that that's all sort of coming along quite nicely in the background. And I think second half of the season, the first half is anything to go by. That will be where the intrigue, the readership, the viewers—that's where it comes from, probably. Yeah, I've been trying to follow up on what you said, which is about this not feeling like you know living through uh, an all-time great title. Uh, sort of witnessing anything uh, amazing, even though it is going to break all sorts of records. I saw somebody do a social media post where they, they kind of ranked the teammates and they were trying to get across the point that Lewis had some pretty handy teammates at times. Hakey had some you know good races. JB outscored him on uh, points. Bottas is good. Rosberg, of course, was a you know, world champion and a, a certain Alonso. He's pretty handy at times. And, uh, and someone was trying to say, well, look, who Verstappen, who they've put in the second seat has never really forced him to have you know amazing battles i don't know if i fully agree with that or not let us know in the comments below uh, dutch fans might uh, disagree but let us know what you think we'll get on actually to red bull a little bit later we won't do it in championship order because i think there are some really interesting talking points and one of those that fascinates me is aston martin started the season as you know potential title contenders so we'll keep our hats on bearing in mind go back to the beginning of the season really good pace and we were thinking well hang on what's going to happen here Alonso always on the podium can they develop maybe Red Bull with that that cost cap uh, sort of implications and you know the seasons turned out differently we know that but try and cast your mind back and it's been well quite a few races really since we've seen that that stellar form that we saw earlier in the season Matt what do Aston Martin need to get back on top slash clickbait headline where has it all gone wrong <laughs> I think I'll start off by saying third in the points, I think they're five ahead of Ferrari at the minute. So it is, it is close. But despite the drop-off in form, any Aston Martin employee would have bitten your hand off for that at the end of last season when they finished seventh. And that you know that came down to the last race with Alfa Romeo. So standalone, mega, still a great subplot. And as the new factory, wind tunnel facilities all sort of progress, this is like the baseline. They will accelerate from this in other seasons if they've already turned attention to 2024 car that's beginning basically this is a first step so maybe they can challenge Red Bull down the line so that is exciting and kudos to them but yeah there has been a marked drop off and you can pretty much pinpoint it down to the race where you had the run of Fernando Alonso podiums and then apart from Monaco I don't think he's featured in the in the top three again there is a reason for that that we're sort of slowly piecing together and trying to understand but the the nuts and bolts of it we can't we can't confirm it yet because it's still a bit early but it sounds like Aston Martin had a bit on the car that they then couldn't run anymore and that has knocked their performance markedly and it's taken the races up to the summer break to bring that back so Hungary the the cliche and it's limited but it is like Monaco without walls so that you know that should be in Fernando Alonso what 
only a few thousandths off pole and fighting for second position like he did in Monaco. Instead, it was sort of lower reaches of the top 10, not not as convincing a performance. And so that sort of says where the performance has dropped off. But there's still sort of that half-tenth gap to Red Bull that they were at the start of the season. So yes, Aston Martin have fallen behind the likes of McLaren, Ferrari, Mercedes, uh, a bit more sort of convincingly than where they were, but it's not a disaster. It's not as if they've taken the car in down the wrong development path and had to, they've discovered it's wrong, ripped up all their homework and they've cost, a, cost themselves a load of tents. It's more that they've had to just sort of reset a little bit and, and refine their form. It's not as if their understanding or their working out is wrong. It's just they got asked to not do something which they were doing. So they've said because of that, you, they use Spa as like a glorified test weekend and are pretty happy with how it came out. So second half of the season, they should be a bit more competitive with the caveat that what their second race back is Monza, where if they find their early season form again, well, their form didn't come from long straights and it didn't come from sort of straight line efficiency or 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 top speed. It was all about high downforce and, and mechanical grip. So, okay, you've got the chicanes at Monza, but when it's dominated by straight line performance, I don't think you'll necessarily see an instant uptick, but I think the results sort of will, will level off, but in a good way. The other thing to consider with Aston is that they've only had one car in the fight. Uh, I think I actually haven't done the analysis from after Hungary and Spa, but I looked up to all the races up to Hungary and of all the teammate battles uh, of those that had scored points, because not every teammate had scored points, so Alfred Harry and Williams with Logan Sargent and the Nick DeFries, Daniel Ricciardo situation, you had to sort of ignore that. But of all the teams that had scored points, uh, only Haas was below Aston Martin in terms of the percentage swing, like Lance Stroll was just not delivering on Fernando Alonso's level. That ultimately could cost them millions in prize money uh, at the end of the year. There was also this suggestion that Alonso flagged up that the change of uh, tyre construction from Pirelli from Silverstone, he said that was uh, that was what, what was uh, contributing to Aston's like, back down from you know the, 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 the being the, the Red Bull bothering team, rather undone by his team boss Mike Crack saying, we simply don't have the data that supports that uh, in Spa. So, you know, Possibly some Fernando Alonso games going on there. He's very, very good at such as that, at things like that. But uh, but yeah, work to do from Aston. But I think the key, one of the key things that Matt said uh, was that they really would have taken this after after where they started 2022. It was so bad at the start of last season. Porpoising awfully, but most of all, just lacking downforce. And the progress they've made, backed up by huge investment from Lawrence Stroll, is seriously impressive. Okay, moving on. Like I say, not doing this in championship order, but I think perhaps storyline order. And I think the next story I'd like to pick at with you guys is the inverse Aston Martin. And that would be McLaren started the season struggling for points. They came out of the gates and said they'd missed all of their targets over the Christmas period. And, well, Austria came around where Lando received the first part of the car's overhaul and uh, turned up in fourth. Since then, we've seen podiums. I don't know if we call the sprint result a podium, but either way, we've seen some fantastic results for the team and the drivers as well. Lando leads the way in the drivers' battle, but that's not surprising. Oscar Piastri being it's his rookie season, but very, very highly rated. Wasn't given the tools earlier in the season to compete properly. Alex, what are your thoughts on the year that McLaren have had so far? Yeah, unfortunately for Oscar Piastri, 
can't call that a podium from what he secured in Spa because uh, <laughs> they don't go and stand on it, do they? Um, although, actually, get, give you, give the, the, the listeners and, uh, and the viewers a little bit of insight. I've, I've never watched a single thing of what happens after a sprint race because uh, I have to do the report for autosport.com when I'm there. It goes on motorsport.com as well, right? Uh, I'm finishing that and then I'm legging it to the press conference room because the logistics is the top three go there before they do their TV thing. So, who knows? They might do something completely random, but I'm pretty sure that Max Verstappen just gets a, a medal from the FIA president or he gets a medal from someone. Anyway... Uh, or wreath. There was a wreath at one point. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just delving deep into my memories there. But yeah, McLaren. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's very similar story to Aston Martin, right? McLaren is investing massively right now. You know, we know it came from a very poor place financially, as Aston did before Lawrence Stroll got involved. It got that investment. Uh, you know, uh, over the sort of the, the the pandemic years, McLaren. You know, it's gone to the point of like selling the land of its factory and renting it back out and things like that. It's really, it's really doing what it can to exploit things on the financial front, and it's making big hires. You know, you got Rob Marshall coming from McLaren. Red Bull have not been subtle in suggesting how much he's being paid by McLaren to go and do that. Um, and, 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 you know, for, uh, at the start of the year, you'd say, well, hang on a minute, what's it been all, what's it all been for? You know, they've come out very openly, very frankly, Andrea Stella, Zach Brown saying, look, we're not going to be good for at least four races until we bring a new floor in Baku. And even then the floor came along and it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was worth a bit, you know, but Lando Norris was still slagging the car off every opportunity he got. Suddenly, as you say, Martin, we get to Austria and the changes, the changes really made a difference. You know, they it was Aston-like the step that they made from going nowhere in the back of the midfield, absolutely nowhere on pace, you know, in the early races. Australia, they were absolutely appalling. What a step. So fair play to McLaren. The work they've done has paid off. Um, and, and you know, it, it, it's also backed up by excellence from its two drivers. I think, you know, we, we joked about Oscar Piastri's podium, non-podium in Spa. What a great start to life as a rookie. Lando Norris under pressure, finally, after a couple of years alongside Daniel Ricciardo. But he can deliver, as we saw at Silverstone and in Austria as well. So, yeah, very good from those two. But I think, actually, one of the key things I wanted to say on this video, on this podcast, I probably might even write a column about it for autosport.com and autosport magazine, is Andrea Stella signing of the season, even though he was already there. Promotion of the season. Fine, let's go for that. He's been terrific. You know, okay. You could just say, oh, it's a coincidence. You know, it's a result of a huge hundreds, thousands of people working on something. But nevertheless, he's been a great figurehead. And for us in the media, he, he gives excellent explanations. He just seems to just seems to totally get it. And this all coming from a man we were told didn't like doing any of the media stuff. So a good positive story for McLaren, having started from a very, very negative one. Matt, I should probably throw in here, Andreas Seidel going to be the CEO of Sauber Group and setting up that operation in anticipation of Audi coming in. And people might be thinking, well, hang on, one guy goes, another guy comes in, McLaren find form all of a sudden, you know, we'll wheel out the old sort of turning around, uh, you know, tanker. A cliche with Formula One teams doesn't happen overnight, but uh, he he was certainly rated enormously highly in the paddock, and uh, and he st he still is he still is in the paddock. And uh, but there's no doubt that some of the changes at McLaren have also come at a time when the, the form has has come around. Matt, do you think that the personnel changes are a part a part of it at all? An essential part to it, yeah. They uh, lost your your long lost twin brother, Andreas Seidel, to to, to Salva. <laughs> we do look so similar for some reason. <laughs> it's the glasses. And as Alex says, you know, I know this is a season mid season review, so we're going to be repeating some topics from like previous podcasts and videos. But as Alex has said, we're just absolutely convinced by Stella. He's got um his approach with the media, which is very very nice. It's like no no BS, no lies. So he tells everything, and he tells it in good detail. Um. 
And I actually had a sit-down interview with Zach Brown, McLaren Racing CEO. That will be on autosport.com over the summer break. And I asked, basically, Austria, Silverstone, Hungary, Spa, you know, what are, what are we seeing there with the uptick? And he said, what you're saying is that is the overlap between the old regime going and everything you see now, everything that's been served up on a plate is come on Stella's watch. So that is James Key going, refining the technical structure. You don't yet have the new wind tunnel online, but what Stella wants is competing ideas. So he wants people to specialise on certain areas and bring conflicting ideas and from that pick the best. And the way they're going about it is just, it's absolute pragmatism. I think that's what's so so good. It's almost like a, a, a blinkered approach. So for Spa, there was a drop off in form and a dry. And that's because they've spent so much time, resource, energy on just upgrading the entire car from that, you know, when they said it was having to be realistic at the start of the season, they missed their winter development targets. So everything's been piled into um, refining the whole car. And that meant they didn't have a Spa spec rear win, but it doesn't matter because there's only a few tracks, Spa, Monza, where you need that setup. It's about the bigger picture. So that's been really impressive. And I think the snapshot of where McLaren is it at now, having taken this massive in-season leap, is that for Spa, they bought a big rear wing and a low drag beam wing, which is not ideal for Spa, but that's what Red Bull have been doing to have this really good DRS effect over the past two seasons. And you speak to Red Bull and go, whoa, are you worried it's been copied? And they're going, no. How the hell? This is the best engineers in the world. And it's taken them 18 months and only one team's done similar. Like that, that's, that's you know, more for them. But that the, the one team is not Ferrari. It's not Macla- uh, it's not Mercedes. It is McLaren. Sort of says of how how impressive they are at the minute. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced by it all. All right, well, that leads nicely on to a team that didn't go out and copy the quicker cars in 2022. They stuck with their so-called zero side pod philosophy, but we know what's underneath the floor is uh, so much of the juice in Formula One these days. Mercedes have been in an unusual spot this season, but you could also make an argument that, once again, a pretty similar spot, scoring regularly doing all right 2022 was a disaster but you look back at they finished you know behind ferrari but you look back and go you kind of scored pretty consistently through the season you look back at this year not been doing too badly which in a way disguises the problems that they have you see the drivers crop up on the podium and you go oh okay mercedes kind of doing all right but they're absolutely not and what do they need to do, Matt, in the second half of this season to at least get themselves in a position to finish second in the championship, to get in position for 2024? Lewis Hamilton, it's not unthinkable that he could finish second in the Drivers' Championship. You've got to say if Sergio Perez can keep it on the road, he'll finish second. But Matt, what have Mercedes got to do in the, the next half of the season and going forward? The sort of flippant answer is focus on 2024. So... You know, although they do look better off than last year, there's not the killer quotes from Toto Wolff about how it's all a shambles. And uh, as far as we know, they're not going to sort of rotate their technical department at the top again. They are 50 points worse off than than Nadir of last year. So, and and okay, last year you had sort of Red Bull and Ferrari taking strips out of each other, but it was Mercedes more clearly at the pack. Now they have more competition, but. But I, it doesn't. You don't get a sense they're any closer to to sorting it all out. So you've gone from zero pods to the Red Bull side pods in Monaco. They had an instant lift as as Mercedes upgrades tend to do, and then they've fallen away in the development race. Uh, the second place in Spain, brilliant, turned a corner, 
but then they've fallen away again. And you think actually they were really competitive in Spain last year. So do you have to put that step forward to a sort of an isolated incident at that specific track rather than a massive step forward? So it's it's not wholly convincing that they've still got this sort of, the way it's been explained is like a treasure map car. So this sort of cuttlefish look, the zero side pods originally was because in these conditions in the wind tunnel, that is absolute peak performance in a way that we weren't saying about Red Bull. They, the Mercedes reckon in the right window, you could get it. But the narrow, the operating window is so incredibly narrow. So last year it was destabilized by bumps. This year they're running in a state of compromise. Last year they were too low. At the start of this year, they went too high. And now they're in the middle. But because everything's been designed to run in that higher state of tune, it's all sort of fundamentally a bit misaligned. So none, none of that is 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 mega so, and that's what it's saying like it's like a treasure map just getting it in the sweet spot and as you see time and time again to the point now it's it's a, a really unfortunate sort of trait of mercedes is that they're quick in the final stint on a sunday but fp1 they're doing one thing fp2 the other uh qualifying can be hit or miss and it's only they get the car in a sweet spot right towards the end it's such a sort of you know the 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 wolf line for the last five years it's it's a diva well where this kit car is it's so easily unsettled and some some of that is absolutely baked in. So one of the early narratives was Lewis saying, I feel like I'm sat too far forward in the car. So it's it, there's a massive pendulum swing behind me. Well, the chassis is crash tested. There are certain hard points with suspension. There's only so much you can do. So that that is fundamentally baked in. But as they've tried to refine it, it does feel like the direction has gone away from, from Russell. So last year it was, oh, hang on, is Hamilton, Hamilton, you know, is his head still gone from 2021? He's, this new lad's come in and, you know, we know he's very good from Williams, but he's every bit of match, if not, I think that was one of the, Alex, that was one of the best debates we had for the top 50 drivers and top 10 F1 drivers of last year was Hamilton or Russell. But this year he seems a bit further behind Hamilton, I think that says sort of how how difficult a car it is to drive yes mike elliott's gone james or mike elliott has been moved up a level and and james allison brought back into the day-to-day but that that can bring some mid-season performance but i think everything has to be about next year's car now you know okay everyone was surprised at the start of 2022 with this really prescriptive rule book and then between mercedes ferrari and red bull you had three massively different takes on how to design an airpod well, I'm sorry, sacrifice to design differentiation. You need to go for the Red Bull route. The only slight problem for that with Mercedes is that Red Bull have had two years of doing the Red Bull thing and they're pretty good at it. So they've got to you know, really um, be on a steep learning curve over the winter. I do think there are things that Mercedes can do short term to make things better in 2023. Um, first of all, we've seen some really quite odd operational mistakes creeping in from Mercedes. Like if you take, for example, uh, Spa shootout, Spa sprint shootout qualifying. I never know the term for that ridiculous session. But anyway, the second qualifying session on the Saturday uh, morning, lunchtime, whenever at Spa last weekend, right? Suddenly, last runs in Q3, it all gets a bit muddy. Verstappen only makes it over the line to start setting his lap with four seconds to spare. The Mercedes drivers are ahead of him. George Russell has overtaken Lewis Hamilton into the final corners, locked up at turn one, and then wrecked Hamilton's lap when he comes back, heading down, heading down onto the onto the rest of the, the straight to Rouge before and after, right? What that all stemmed from was a little bit that Mercedes explained it as, as miscommunication. And what effectively what happened was is that Russell was told it's gonna to be quite tight here. You need to get on with it. He did. He overtook Hamilton and, and other drivers at the at the bus stop chicane. The pressure that, that then built meant he messed up at La Source and it had a knock on effect. Whereas actually, 
both cars had enough time. It was only Verstappen that was particularly under pressure. So that, you know, I think that's where Mercedes will reflect and think, oh, hang on a minute, this has gone a bit wrong. There was also the collision in qualifying in Spain that was put down to miscommunication. It's little things like that you don't often see from Mercedes. And I think that's something that if they can get that right, that'll at least alleviate a bit of the pressure that can build up from these things. The other thing I think Mercedes can do this year, and this really does concern the drivers centrally, is sort out the contract situations. This Lewis Hamilton new deal that we're being told is, is is all done. It's all it's with the lawyers. Well, it's been with the lawyers for quite a while now. So Wolf said back at the beginning of June, it was going to be announced in a few days. He said that at one of the conference he and Hamilton were at in New York, but it, but it, it never came to pass. So what actually is the holdup? Are we just being spun this? Oh, it's lawyers, 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 because actually there's something more fundamental going on. You know, um, I, you know, you, you would suspect this is just Mercedes wanting to do things very thoroughly uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see at some point in the future that this announcement does uh, does come and as part of that maybe there'll be some sort of investment in Russell it'd be a logical time to expect them to make a, a contract extension put in place for him so yeah that at the very least would stop the questions going on about it and would help them feel settled we know drivers have spoken about the importance of you know knowing their long-term futures are secure and even with a driver like Lewis Hamilton I mean take for example Fernando Alonso when he was at Alpine last year and they were going oh we think you're a bit too old actually we'd rather have you know which made no sense at all he was so outraged about that first opportunity he got Aston Martin he walked out the door so even at seven with seven world titles Lewis Hamilton you know he's getting to, to towards that sort of veteran status if he's not already there he's going to want the time and the, the sort of investment in him as well as Russell is so that would certainly be a short-term thing that Mercedes could do to to boost its 2023 form I would say Okay, let's move on. And a team that is having a different 2023 to 2022 Ferrari closely fighting, this time with Aston Martin in the Constructors' Championships. The drivers, well, some races we get Leclerc on the podium. Sometimes they're barely in the points. Other races we see Sainz taking the lead and telling the pit wall exactly what the strategy is going to be. Both drivers pretty level on points, just seven between them going into the summer break. We've spoken before about how uh, some of the teams in the uh, chasing pack can't decide which one's going to be the quickest. Alex, I'll stay with you. What do you think about Ferrari's season so far with their new management in place, but a commitment behind the drivers? What do you think? Well, you say it's different, Martin, but I would argue it's pretty much exactly the same. It's not good. You know, I think obviously there are differences. And of course, I'm being flippant here. Like, yep, Ferrari were winning races last year. They had different uh, different team principal, Mattia Bonotto. Now it's Fred Vasseur. But really, what's changed? Red Bull got better and Ferrari, if anything, stagnated or went backwards. Like, it, it's really stri- it really strikes me every so often I think of this. Q, I think you made this point in, uh, in, in various podcasts and videos that we were doing this time a year ago, which is basically... Ferrari's already missed its big chance. And I think we're seeing that play out exactly as it, as you suggested it would. It had a great chance to win the 2022 title. Didn't take that. Red Bull's car development path has been proved so right. Now even Ferrari are on it. Where can, Where's it realistically going to overcome Red Bull? Red Bull is so much further ahead. Like, it's just, it's like, 
Ferrari essentially feels like it's getting less criticism this year because it's given it's giving like fractionally more openness from its team. If, you know, for series admitting to the really obvious mistakes we can see when it comes to like not listening to its drivers, wanting slicks in Canada and things like that. Oh, okay, yeah, we made mistakes. Yeah, we know you, we know you made mistakes, Fred. Like obviously, Ferrari thinks it's getting less criticism because of that. It's not. It's just because people are just going, oh yeah, all right. Yeah, what else is new? Ferrari, yeah. Oh, another long pit stop for Leclerc. Brilliant. Yeah, okay. Another one for Science. Yeah, cool. Both drivers got held up. Actually, it wasn't Ferrari's fault, but both drivers got held up with the same thing when it came to changing uh, the full wets for uh, Inters in the Spa sprint race. It was just classic Ferrari. That In that case, misfortune. But nobody's surprised about this anymore. And I think that's 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 the case. Little has, has really changed. You know, we had unreliability even hitting Leclerc in Bahrain. Thankfully, that hasn't become the big issue that it was last year. Um, but yeah, it's just been exposed. It has. It is making new signings, new investment. You know, people are, people are actually leaving. Laura Mekis is off. You've got David Sanchez going to McLaren. It's just, we know how things go in Formula One. Ferrari can make new signings. But its biggest one that you know that isn't coming until 2025. So it's just it's more of the same, and it's just frustrating. And really, for a team that has the support and love that Ferrari has from F1 fans, it's actually quite sad. Well, I'm back if you remember to when when the cars were unveiled, and usually it's a sort of a dust cover gets yanked off. But if we remember, Ferrari actually ran their car at Fiorano, and okay, that's like not trivial, but it doesn't mean anything. And of course, the drivers are going to go overrate uh, overrate it. This feels mega. But it just felt like a show of strength at the time that, you know, they'd refined that car and everyone was worried about how the aerodynamic testing restrictions would affect Red Bull and, you know, they're just bringing RB18B. And so maybe, you know, okay, like I said last year, it felt like that was Ferrari's one chance gone. But with Red Bull anticipated to only take a small step forward, you know, it felt like Ferrari could close the gap. And... As Alex says, apart from sort of the Hasses breaking down at, at Silverstone and um, and Leclerc in Bahrain, generally the car has been a lot more reliable. But there's still two major areas of weakness before we get into performance, and that's strategy and pit stops. Pit stops is something that Fred Vasseur, I think, really tangibly could have had an effect in. Is then you just say, right, practice it over the winter, practice it Thursday, Friday, throughout the weekend. But they're still fouling with pit stops, sticky wheel guns, poor execution. And the strategy, like Alex says, there's been less media attention on it, but the errors are still there. And I think that's related to basically pressure, that as soon as there is pressure, Ferrari falter. Last year, there was a lot more pressure towards the start of the season because they were up front. So when, you know, Silverstone, they got their safety car order wrong or Hungary, you know, after doing everything on uh, mediums and softs, they bet their whole race on hard tyres unfathomably. But that was because they were going for the win. This year, you know, as soon as the pressure's up again, they're, they're, they're making mistakes. You know, the, the fact that, yes, it speaks well of Carlos Sainz, how sort of articulate and intelligent he is. But the fact is, like, mid-race, when he really needs to be driving, he's having to barter with the pit wall over what to do, and they're suggesting one thing, and he's going, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing the other. At least that's not broadcast from other teams, whether it is or not going on, but it's not exactly convincing. And then, and then you have, you know, the performance drop-off relative to um, Red Bull, and the slight understanding that basically Ferrari was very quick last year, but when they emerged, they were already much closer to the, the performance potential or the performance ceiling of that concept. And so there was only however many steps forward they could take. And that's basically carried over to this year. So a bit like Mercedes, whether they need to take a few steps back and go in a slightly different route, but then that puts them so much further behind in their learning. And 
And then, yeah, I've just got to side with Alex and everything else that the, the changes aren't coming until 2025. And then suddenly that that sort of Ferrari unwanted record of a 21 year drought between titles, suddenly that's that's pretty in reach, isn't it? As we as we go forward to sort of the next next gen rules era. Absolutely. Even the win record of uh, of the, sort of the time we've had to wait. It was the 10th of July, I think, uh, last year. Austrian Grand Prix, last time we saw a Ferrari win. As you say, we see plenty of Ferrari poles, but uh, Leclerc has that, that really kind of unenviable growing reputation of, well, he won't win from pole because we know who will who will win. Right, we've spoken about teams two, three, four, five. Time for... Without question, number one in 2023. After Spa, we did the Sunday night podcast uh, review show and Matt summed it up so well because I was trying to find new angles. I always got to find, talk about Max Verstappen and Red Bull. We can't just say, oh, he won, here's the rest. Um, and he summed it up beautifully and mentioned it in the intro as well, uh, which is that that RB19 isn't a magic trick car. It's not a Brabham fan car. They haven't turned up because of, you know, engine regulations with some sort of 2,000 horsepower, you know, fire breather, but the arrows naff. It's just really, really good everywhere. And they happen to have the top dog driver behind the wheel as well. Red Bull dominance this year. Trying to sum up just how good that car driver team performance is. Longest running team principal in the pit lane in Christian Horner. Absolute consistency in that team as well. And a very good teammate in Sergio Perez as well. At times this year putting up a good fight. Matt, I'll stay with you because you really helped crystallise my thoughts on that podcast about why that RB19 is so good. As we reflect back on the first half of the season, what are your thoughts on Red Bull so far? Well, it's got the perfect win record, hasn't it? You know, it's uh, it's won everything, every every sprint race, every every Grand Prix. But like you say, it's, it's potentially not the perfect car. So it's not, you know, if we're thinking of the pantheon of greats, it's not a Lotus seventy two. Okay, inboard brakes was a bit of a, you know, a, a wrong a wrong sort of path to go down. But in terms of like, you know, repositioning the radiators and every car since then has done what Lotus seventy two said. It's not one of those. It's not the MP four four where just the performance is otherworldly to the rest of the competition like we have seen that the Red Bull can be caught and I don't buy the narrative that you know Verstappen is sandbagging every now and again in in qualifying well we've seen you know half a second cover 20 cars he's much braver and more calculated than I would be if he's going to only drive at nine tenths to to secure that pole position he put a lot at stake so I think we have seen sort of where where the basically how fast the RB19 can go and yes Verstappen is doing his thing of basically starting a race, keeping out of trouble, uh, clearing the DRS zone to be, you know, one and a half seconds ahead, then leaning it on the tyres, sort of gradually bringing the window, and then he clears off and it's a 20, 30 second lead. That That is mega. But I think, actually, as, as our colleague John Noble wrote, what you're seeing is like the Renault early Honda years in the wilderness, wilderness coming good. So... First of all, when, when we had the winter between 2021 and 2022, everyone started sort of rereading Adrian Newey's autobiography because he talked about his experience with, with ground effects. That was one point. But also, when basically Mercedes was winning everything, Red Bull knew the Renault engine later tag wire wasn't, wasn't all it was cracked up to be. They were looking for every other area to find potential. And a lot of that came down to ride height and rear suspension. Mercedes 
were more good at, I think, not necessarily having a sweetest handling car, but just chucking downforce on it by bolting on yeah, even more complex barge barge front wings. Well, the entire regulations have shifted towards now what that Red Bull area of expertise were, which is A, why they came out the block so good in last year, but also why, why, they've, why they've stayed ahead. Because, you know, look at Spa. So much of that is about ride height to main, maintain it through O Rouge, whatever, having, you know, having the right rear axle to placate Max Verstappen. They're, they're brilliant at all of that. And that is why you now have that car with a massive operating window compared to rivals. It's also why Red Bull have been really good at um, the way the floor and the diffuser interact with the rear wing. Well, the rear wing in the previous generation of, of cars was sort of a more overlooked area of development, I feel, compared to what it is now. But Red Bull, because they're ahead they're able to look at that and and really refine it and so i think yeah operationally pit stops they're operating on it on they're on a different plane to rivals but okay red bull would say this and you know you've got the atr which may come to hurt them more in 2024 because it certainly hasn't at this point in the start of the season and after the big budapest upgrade i'm not sure we're expecting too much else more but they're they're saying like it's not uh 09 with a double diffuser it's not an f duct this car can be caught cool, or certainly people can get a hell of a lot closer to what they are doing but they're but they're not so red bull has been brilliant and this class b behind them has been exciting to watch as well but it's up to the others to sort of take that step and and, and close the gap but but they're not doing yeah it's, it's interesting i you what you makes me think there how much is the cost cap having an effect because you you, you surely say that 20 years ago Ferrari and Mercedes would have just built a Red Bull by now. That they just would have just gone completely washed everything out. So it is an interesting thing. You've got to, you know, we've got to always consider how much harder it is now with the, those financial constraints. And actually, I think in terms of looking forward for Red Bull, the cost cap is going to be the next. Oh, is it a nervy moment because of what happened last year? Now I'm not saying that Red Bull have done anything wrong. It's just that that's how the news cycle goes. At a certain point, the FIA is going to reveal whether anybody is in trouble for breaching the 2022 cost cap. Um, there's been reports that a few teams are suspected of doing that, which the which the FIA then very firmly clamps down and denied and said, look, there's absolutely, absolutely no talk. This is just speculation. It's just, it's you know, nothing's been released to any of the teams yet. So, you know, I'm just saying logically, you'd expect that to be the next big news talking point and obviously Red Bull is a big part of that because of what happened last year. Uh, but actually, I just want to go back to, to what Matt was saying about, you know, comparing this RB19 to some great cars. Actually, you know, you mentioned the McLaren and the Lotus, Matt, but our boss, Kevin Turner, he's already made this point for us. It's the F2004, which is considered a great car because it's not dominant in qualifying, but it's crushingly good in the races. And that's what the RB19 is. And I think, um, yeah, that, that it almost means that the RB19 in certain ways, we calculate how good a car is by the super times method that is the fastest lap of each car over a weekend expressed as a percentage. It does the RB19 a disservice because in qualifying, the other teams are able to get close to it, occasionally ahead of it, as we've seen with Mercedes, uh, as we've seen with uh, uh, Charles Leclerc a couple of times in Baku. So that, so that, that you know, ultimately it, it doesn't express it doesn't express best that approach, but there's no doubt that the RB19 is. And the only other thing I just want to say for Red Bull is for all the for all the criticism, and it's not even like it's criticism because everyone's just like, oh, there's no opposition. For all the ah oh, disappointment that it's one team winning, Red Bull still provide a lot of storylines that I actually don't think it gets credit for. Like, for example, the team order spat in Brazil last year totally needless everybody loved it apart from you know probably some uh, red bull uh, people red bull fans things like that 
But just take in isolation Max Verstappen's engineer, Gian Piero Lambiesi, and how Verstappen, how they talk to each other. How, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as good as seeing any other team battle Verstappen and make him show treme- his tremendous skills to, to win a, a really close dogfight, to win a really close championship fight. Of course, he's not as good as that, but at least it's interesting. And Red Bull could very easily stop that from happening, but they don't. And I think that's to their credit. And then you add into the fact that they dropped Nick De Vries, they brought Ricardo back. Helmut Marco, 80 years old, is still his utterly most brutal uh, persona going. So, uh, so yeah, you know, for, for a team that sort of crushes the life out of F1 at the moment, it's also putting some back into it. On Helmut, I don't know uh, if I if uh, it was widely shown or not, but uh, it was it wasn't in Spa, but it was a couple of races before he wanted to get to the front of the barriers to cheer on his man and there was one of the photographers one of the snappers was leaning up against the little temporary barrier and helmet in in all his years has still got a pretty good elbow on him it was like right son out of the way and the guy sort of looked over the photographer to say who do you think you are and saw him was like yeah i'll just move out of your way so still still fearsome i love that little shot i'm not even sure it was even sort of in focus or in the like the main coverage but i caught it in the background i thought it was absolutely brilliant moment but uh but there we go can i just jump in very quickly martin with another helmet marco uh i was it's not this one's a grid anecdote but uh, that one was obviously in park Ferme. uh f1's first race in saudi arabia i was there now i'm have many thoughts on the the situation we're in with saudi arabia buying up loads of sport and and sport washing and all of that and formula one is of course part of it but um that's 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 a whole other uh debate podcast and a very worthy one as well but just for the purposes of this anecdote the crown prince of saudi arabia mbs you know obviously in the in the news for for you know the, the murder and everything of the of the journalist in istanbul he was on the grid for that first race he was being fawned over by the f1 higher-ups by jean todd the fia president at the time they're walking through the grid i was stood by i think it was perez's red bull on the grid in Jeddah, uh not too far from helmet marco as this procession came through with this gigantic quite you know fearsome reputation guy Marco just went straight up to him, literally shook his hand out, started having an animated conversation with a, with a global, global world leader. So, uh, yeah, he does not lack bravado. He's pretty fearless and his, his reputation is well deserved. Absolutely. Well, we've done a good big chunk on uh, the big teams. Not to say that the rest of the teams aren't equally as important, of course, for fans watching this of those teams. But we haven't got to spend quite as long on the remaining teams who are fighting just as hard with just as dedicated teams. So if you're a fan of those teams, we don't spend as much time on them as absolutely no, uh, nothing meant by that. But obviously the debate has to be, you know, more, you know, Red Bull than some of the, the lower down teams. But let's get on to those now. We will start with the most recent uh, story, I guess, which is the, the Alpine personnel changes, losing huge amounts of experience there. Now, Omar Safnau has been, uh, he's new there, but been in motorsport and Formula One for absolutely forever. Alan Pomain in that, that, that squad for 34 years and, and you know, other changes there as well from you know maybe leaders more kind of automotive based side there at Renault and Al- Alpine who perhaps aren't as well versed in in the politics of motorsport and how the whole thing works etc uh, but uh, there's lots to do there maybe just may I suggest steadying the ship over the summer and kind of coming back strong Alex I'll stay with you any thoughts on Alpine yeah I mean it's it's actually shown a fair bit of potential you know we had the Ocon podium we had Pierre Gasly mixing it very gamely with Fernando Alonso at Silverstone and it's been had a lot of misfortune you think about the the, the late restart chaos in Australia two cars out in the same incident there two cars out in the same incident at Hungary that was very much not uh, not not Ocon or Gasly's fault so yeah 
it has it has it has shown flashes. It's just not been consistent. It's not made the Aston Martin step, the McLaren step up the midfield that we talked about earlier. I think, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on we're a race team. You won't hear any sort of cost cap shenanigans going on at Alpine. Well, okay, there's one way of looking at it, but, you know, big investment clearly clearly has paid off for other teams. So that's one way to look at it. Um, But also, it's now got a really, really big call to make, which is who's going to be its boss going forward. You've got Bruno Famine as the as the temporary team principal. He's going to eventually be part of the structure that will sit above the, the new team principal. There's a lot of assumptions that it's going to be Matteo Benotto. I would say that that's not a given because with Alpine, you've essentially got a sort of mini Ferrari situation. You've got a team where there's rather obviously a lot of interference from the board level and, and things at the top because look what's happened. You know, they've gone through a whole management overhaul after Cyril Abitbol was the, the was running the team. Then you had the, the Alpine rebrand, which was a thing that, you know, Renault wanted to wanted to do to, to boost the Alpine brand. Then you've got Otmar Zaf now gone. I mean it's just it's just interference after interference after interference. So why would Binotto, having been pushed out of the fire, jump into the frying pan or whatever the whatever the expression is there? I've probably butchered it horrifically. Um, but whatever, if they get the call right, they just need to give it time because that's how that's how things goes. It's not, you know, it's not football. You don't get the new manager bounce. Um but the other thing is engine equalization. That's a big topic at the moment. We know that the Renault engine is down compared to uh, the others. The FIA have noticed it or it's been pointed out to the FIA and they're supporting an investigation into potentially addressing that. So in the sort of midterm, that theoretically provides a boost for, for Alpine, if not everybody else being brought to their level in terms of the engine stakes. So that could be a, a net game for them. I think on track, you know, Alpine's glitzy pre-season launch, their target was respectable actually it was to do what we did last year finish fourth meanwhile close the gap to the top three and we'll do this by out developing everyone else and that sort of made sense on paper because last year every time they put a new part on the car it works it gave them a performance uptick they weren't spending three races evaluating it so it was all plausible and but yeah it's just it's just obviously not worked on track and it's not as like the car's inconsistent it's just it's consistently not as good as the other cars around it and so that's the problem but then off track you know as Alex says everyone's investing well Endstone's had you know it's had its redecoration if you like and there's not the huge of okay there's a new sim coming some new you know they're they're collecting CVs for aerodynamics but there's not a huge like upgrade coming and then you know the the management of it all basically Luca De Meo Renault Group boss meet Jaguar in the early 2000s Jaguar meet Luca De Meo it's that kind of what F1 teams need time you know everyone else is doing an 18 month infrastructure project well no I want success tomorrow it doesn't work like that and while like everyone's talking about the replacement I think you know to compare it to football and and comparing F1 to football always has limitations in its analogies but you look at Watford right and that and the management turnover there same with Alpine does the next person go in go in oblivious to the turnover and think they'll get a long uh, a big stay of execution or does a person go in knowing full well they might do an upmar and be gone after 18 months and if so i don't think you want either of those people you don't want someone short-sighted and a bit machiavelling looking out for themselves and you don't so want someone so oblivious as to what's going on as to take charge of the whole operation so um yes and they can't promote from within because there's hardly anyone left so that's the sort of state of the nation at alpine 
All right, let's talk Williams and some recent races in Silverstone as well. On the right circuit and at Spa, flashes of performance from Williams. Right circuit, right setup. Actually, they could have got a bit of a turn of pace at times. How can Williams push forward? Yeah, I think sort of long term, it's James Vowles and his, his battle with the sort of capex changes to the rules to allow the investment to be changed. That's where it's allowed the infrastructure to be changed with investment at Williams factory. But that's very much a sort of Sun Tzu art of war thing. You know, you're fighting the battles that never need to be fought, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and as part of that, Vowles is, has been open in saying, he told me in, in Spain, I know he spoke to, to Matt in, in Belgium, he doesn't mind making Williams look bad if it makes F1 wake up and realise, OK, we've got to change a few things to, to help them catch up. The danger there is that the other big teams will exploit those changes because that's just what they do. Uh, that's very much long term, though. Short term, keep supporting Alex Albon. He's very happy there. He has made the odd mistake this year, we think, at the start in Baku, um, damaging his front wing there. But otherwise, been excellent. And while he does that, the focus then falls on Logan Sargent. He's a rookie, so Williams has got to encourage him. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are other drivers out there eyeing his seat. It's no guarantee that he'll be there in 2024. So Williams publicly supportive of Sargent because Vowles is really polished. Actually, you know, Q and I have praised Stella. Vowles is another team principal that's that's, that's come in this season and has made a, a very good impact with the media uh, I, I hope with fans as well. He just, he's just not, he's just not flap. He doesn't flap at all. Like he's just, he just, he just gets it. And he just, he just, he just is very polished. And, and also I saw someone dropped a chair down some stairs in the Williams motorhome while we were doing our interviews. Vowles looked furious. He covered it up very well when he came back in, having discovered that fortunately someone hadn't broken their neck or anything, but he wasn't best pleased. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, he, he's, he's made a good impression. His next big call looking for 24, do I keep Sargent or not? Because it wasn't his decision to hire in the first place at Williams. I'm similarly convinced by Vowles as well. Um, but, you know, the, the the Williams targets are are much further down the line. The the, the One of the things Vowles said to me is that I don't care about finding an extra millisecond of performance for this season if it means, you know, taking anything away from the longer term plan. And well, you know, he's not going to do an Alpine 100 race you know, target strategy, whatever. Doralton is an investment company and he sits on the board of that. So he has to present certain timelines. And as Alex says, they're all wrapped up in, in CapEx. Just to add to the Sargent point, Vowles isn't the sort of person to second guess himself. And he's already decided in a previous career at Mercedes looking after junior drivers that Sar- Sargent didn't sort of pass muster. It wasn't Vowles's appointment or it wasn't Bowser's decision ultimately to sign him for this season as much as he has publicly backed him so um yes uh I think you know Logan's acquitted himself well in a sense that he's not causing too many random safety cars the standard of driving has been you know solid enough to a fault from the entire field with that you know we could every now and again do with a random random crash just to spice up the race a bit but um yeah I don't I don't think he should be sort of um or maybe his agent should be putting out feelers in sports cars. I don't know, something along those lines. <laughs> Let's talk Haas next. And in a sport that can be so often about appearances, when they turned up with their mini pit wall at the beginning of the year, people might have smirked until uh, Gunter pointed out, well, hey, if I spend 250000 on performance and get better results, who will be laughing? And everyone kind of went, oh, yeah, OK, I guess he's, he's got a point. But let's talk about performance on track. At times... Seen turns of pace, some decent results. Quali, Canada, Miami, uh, North America, which is you know, handy for them being Haas. Uh, but uh, some thoughts on Haas, please. 
great great qualifying bad racing next no in all, in all, in all seriousness um hulkenberg great comeback really seems to be enjoying himself i think just reveling in the fact that he's got this sort of last real chapter to his f1 career uh qualifying star and actually you know i said uh, i said uh, andreas stella was my signing slash promotion of 2023 i'll, I'll add hulkenberg as joint he's definitely a top signing so so top signing from Haas there uh Hulk Magnussen's not been awful in qualifying I think back to Miami he was very very high up the grid there uh but yeah they just they just can't get a handle on this you know sliding problem in traffic that wears their tires out and it's surprising that it's taking this long you know that they just can't correct correct everything there but um but the other thing I'd just say about Haas is I spent quite a lot of time with the team this season particularly at Silverstone but other races as well you read about that an upcoming feature in GP Racing magazine our other our other magazine that we produce uh here at Motorsport Network but yeah but um basically what what I found there is a really stable mature professional atmosphere which I think has been lacking in recent seasons when you think about Nikita Mazapan and Mick Schumacher you know trying to crash into each other all the time in 2021 Schumacher crashing multiple times in 2022 and the pressure that created internally you've got a very stable Haas at the moment and I think that if they can use that to put turn it onto their problems when it comes to tyre degradation you're going to see the Haas of old that can produce some pretty good results I would say. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo. Of course, just the name of a title headline sponsor of that team. Who are leaving? We've just talked about Haas. Could we see the Alfa Romeo Haas on the grid uh, next year? Well, we can't say. But uh, as of recording this, uh, we can say that they won't be with this team in the long term. But this team does have long-term plans, though. This season, though, stuck down in ninth. They've fallen down Formula 1's ranks compared to 2022. How can they climb back in the second half of this year? Well, I'm willing to bet that actually out of all the teams, Alfa Romeo is the one we've talked about on podcasts and videos at least and the one we've written about. But that's partly because they're so not very interesting at times. And that is because, you know, the drivers are stable, good operators, but, you know, everything's been about Audi buying their team and developing its own program. Well, the noises from Audi actually that the engine program is behind where it should be compared to Red Bull and Mercedes. But on track, you know, it might still be Alfa Romeo, and underneath that badge, it might say Sauber, but Audi is now piling resources into this team so it can finally spend up to the cost cap. And the team has done nothing with that. Yeah, okay, it bolted on a few new parts and Silverstone was slightly better at Hungary. It's fallen back in, in Spa. It's so underwhelming. Like, you'd at least want the chassis size to be developing. And and the problem with this year's car or and last year's car is that it was light. That was why it was so quick at the start of last season. It was down at the weight limit. Well, every other team can get down to that weight limit, but it's then hard to find performance for Alfa Romeo and other areas that they've lost their like area of, of, of strength over the rest. And also you speak to the team about what's gone wrong. It's just like, well, basically this and that. Um, and we need to, everything needs a bit more work. And that, that's that's fine. Take a holistic view, but there's no low hanging fruit. So they jump those next two or three places. So it's just... It's just a bit stagnant, a bit bleh, really around Alfa Romeo. Okay, and unfortunately in last place, they've scored one point three times this year, dropping Nick De Vries, bringing back Daniel Ricciardo, which was a big talking point of the 2023 season so far. I think he's acquitted himself uh, pretty well so far. He still looks in amazing shape. He's obviously still been you know, hitting the gym. Being race fit is probably a different thing, that last few percent, uh, but that will, you know, that will come. And uh, Daniel, hopefully he's lost none of his speed and can help that team 
team um, develop. But what do you think AlphaTauri need to do to, well, try and make a bit of a comeback and not finish last this year? They they just need to score points. I mean, they've they've enacted what's actually quite a, a you know a, a large scale recovery in terms of its development path after it, it, it missed its targets in terms of especially the the corner entry phase. You know, the, the downforce is coming off as as the car breaks. It missed its targets there, and I think they've 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 added considerable steps. It really quite early on to try and address that. You think of the the floor updates they brought to Australia. So carry on down that path. And then just hope that things fall their way. I think like it's interesting, isn't it? You sort of make your own luck, and I think we've seen that with Williams. They've really grabbed hold of those positive results uh, where they can. And AlphaTauri just haven't. How many eleventh places has Yuki Sonoda had? And you know, I think it's 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 a it's a complex one at AlphaTauri because you've got Daniel Ricciardo there, who is essentially, you know, if he does well, he's he's possibly back on the way back to to Red Bull. If he does badly, it's it's confirmation that. That's it. His F1 career's over. So there's quite a lot of pressure, but he's he's still being very Daniel Ricciardo about it all. And there's lots of pressure on Yuki Tsunoda as well because he doesn't have a contract for next year. And Liam Lawson is doing very, very well in Super Formula, could well be brought over to replace Tsunoda. So, you know, and, and don't forget there's a name change coming coming up. So that'll be the sort of the big the big news topic for, for, for AlphaTauri, which will be what will it be called next year and what, what drivers will it have? But there's not a lot they can do other than just try and improve the car. And if the drivers make the cut, they make the cut. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the big talking point has obviously been dropping De Vries. And that, you know, as, as good as the performance that was in Monza last season, standing in for Alex Albon, even if the car was slightly low drag and the team expected Albon would have done better still. You know, that one race is far too small a sample size to promote a driver within. And you know, I can understand why they did it, but also De Vries had the, he was part of the Alpine shootout, didn't get the nod there. So, um, yeah, the right decision probably for him to go because not only was did he start l- low, but he he wasn't improving strong enough. I think, was it Marco, another devastating line? Like, we didn't see one lap that convinced us or, you know, one lap that amazed us. So that that's him gone. Bring in Ricardo's in good. It's a good, like you say, good benchmark for, for um, Sonoda. And also... You know, Ricardo's won, all right, a little while ago now, but it's won eight Grand Prix, you know, and okay, Toro Rosso then after Torres won two Grand Prix. So it knows what the top step's like, but Ricardo's bringing so much more experience, so much more competing ideas from McLaren and Renault than Pierre Gasly uh, and, you know, Brendan Hartley, Daniel Kavir ever had. Okay, they got a bit of Red Bull seat time, but, you know, so he's able to bring the team forward and we know they're, you know, Red Bull management thinks after isn't selling enough jeans or whatever through Formula One. So it's a rebrand. It's going to consolidate in Bista and sort of scale back its fines or operations. But yeah, I think I'll, I'll sort of the final thing I'll say in this podcast is still my favourite stat from this season is that Aston Martin sporting director Andy Stevenson has overturned two penalties to earn five points. That puts him two points ahead of Alfa Tauri in the standings. Uh, I know who is buying Alfa Tauri stuff, by the way. It's uh, Christian Klein, the ex, uh, funnily enough, ex Red Bull Formula One driver turned Austrian TV commentator because I saw him on the grid in Spa with many Alfa Tauri logos on him as far as I could see. No, I'm sure he's making the most of that free merch that he's been sent. Well, that is your podcast for today. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting the Autosport podcast through the season so far. We can't wait to bring you the remaining 10 races, the storylines, the battles as they develop. By the way, you can contact the show anytime. Podcast at autosport.com is the email address. That's podcast at autosport.com for your thoughts, suggestions, ideas of shows that you'd like to hear. Guests we can get on. We love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.